As a youth group leader for many years, I have run four million relay races. I prefer the silliest races, of course. Rub a balloon on the carpet to get the static electricity, stick it to your head, run from one side of the room to the other. If the balloon falls off, you have to go back to the beginning and start all over again. Put a hard-boiled egg on a spoon, run from one end of the gym to the other, balancing the egg. If the egg falls off, you have to go back to the beginning and start all over again. Toss this Frisbee to the next person on your team. First team to get the Frisbee across the fellowship hall wins. If anyone on your team drops the Frisbee, back to the beginning and start all over again. That's like the standard rules for things. You go back to the, when things don't work, you go back to the beginning and you start all over again. The consequence of failure in all of these very skillful races is the need to start over and do it right. When Mark tells the story of the gospel of Jesus Christ, he starts with John the baptizer. There are no angels, no shepherds, no wise men. There's no Mary and Joseph in Mark's beginning. There's just John, a voice crying in the wilderness in fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy. And in a very real sense, you can boil down the message of John to the people of Israel down to this. Go back to the beginning and start all over again. That's what John is saying. Listen to the message from the Gospel of Mark, chapter one. I invite you to stand for the reading of the Gospel. Mark one, I'm going to begin in verse four. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist and he ate locusts and honey. And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. At once the spirit sent him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals and angels attended him. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. This is the word of the Lord, and we say thanks be to God. You may be seated. We've read these passages many times, especially through Advent. We're familiar with the stories, we've heard them. But this morning, I'd really like to spend time lingering about the importance of the place 
that this all happened. The prophecy talks about a voice in the wilderness. John calls the people to leave their towns, leave their villages, and join him in the wilderness to be baptized. Even Jesus goes to be baptized in the wilderness. After his baptism, Jesus will spend 40 more days in the wilderness, having been led there by the Spirit, where he lived in the company of wild beasts and angels. There is too much emphasis on wilderness in this passage for it not to mean something important. We know from our knowledge of the history of Israel that the nation of Israel was liberated from Egypt and led into the wilderness, and in the wilderness, God formed his people. The fulfillment of the covenant made with Abraham way long ago is reached in the wilderness with the people of Israel. The history of the nation of Israel begins in the wilderness. Unfortunately, the purpose for the people of God to allow God to bless all nations through them is not realized. It doesn't happen. And so John is calling all of Israel back into the wilderness for a do-over. In golf, this is a mulligan. Try again, second chance. John calls the nation to repent of their wickedness and to return to their original relationship with God. Go back to start. Go back to the beginning. Let's try again from the first steps. Being called into the wilderness is, is being called to leave behind the things that have distracted, misled, deceived them, anything that has taken them up off course, being called in the wilderness is to leave all of that other stuff behind and return to their original purpose and their original relationship with God. In a very real way, John the baptizer is calling Israel to a second exodus event. Think of that. Equate the exodus from Egypt with John's calling of Israel into the wilderness to start again. And as important as that do-over is, John very quickly tells the people, no, I'm not the Messiah. I'm not, I'm not the one. I'm, I'm, I'm not the one you're looking for. My ministry is simply to help you stop being where you are and getting you out here to the place of decision, because what John is doing, he is creating the crisis of decision. He's creating the crisis of decision. You understand that turning point. The crisis of decision is the moment that you discover something is wrong, and then you realize you have to do something about it. We can live in ignorant bliss about what's wrong for a long time, but there comes a moment when we recognize something is wrong and we have to do something about it. 
Perhaps you have new responsibilities at work and you think they're unfair. Consequently, you are grumpy when you get home at night, your spouse bears the brunt of your grumpiness, and then something happens, maybe a word from your spouse, but something happens and you realize all of a sudden you've been taking out your work frustration on your spouse night after night, a light goes on in your head and you realize what you have been doing is not right. And when that light goes on in your head and you realize that what you've been doing is not right, you have reached the crisis of decision. You will either decide to stop that behavior and find ways to leave work at work, or you will do nothing and continue to be grumpy. That's what's at stake in the crisis of decision. Or maybe your dear friend says something about you to someone else behind your back, and you find out about it and your feelings are hurt, and you're not sure you want to spend any time with that old friend of yours, things become strained and the relationship grows distant, and then one morning you realize that you miss your friend, and that you are in the process of losing your friend due to your mutual actions, and if you don't do something, you will have lost this longtime friend. That moment, when you realize what's happening, is the crisis of decision. Will you go speak to your friend? Will you try to understand what really happened? Will you offer forgiveness for your old friend? There's lots of ways this could go, but once you're aware of the problem, you live in the crisis of decision until you act. Jesus is calling Israel out to the wilderness to acknowledge their need of a fresh start. The wilderness is the place from which the new covenant will be launched. The people who come out to John in the wilderness are admitting their need of a fresh start. They've had a crisis of decision and they're coming out of town, out of the village, into the wilderness is the significant step, the action they are taking that says, I need to do something about it and this is what I will do. This is what I will do to exit my crisis of decision and to make a decision. And right here in the middle of them, all these people who are coming out of the towns, out of the villages, seeking John in the wilderness, in the middle of these sinners, here comes Jesus. Now John has already been proclaiming the fact that he's not the Messiah. John was preparing the people for something new. He's told them that the coming one was so far superior to him that he wouldn't even be worthy to go down and untie the sandals of the coming ones, the, the thongs of the sandals of the coming one's shoes. Now, that's an interesting picture, isn't it? Because slaves, Hebrew slaves, were required to do anything their master said. Except there was one job even the slaves were exempted from, and it was untying the shoes, because feet stink. And you can't make even slaves do a job that nasty. But John says, he's not even worthy to untie the shoestrings of the one who's coming. He says, but oh, the one who is coming. I'm bringing you to a crisis of decision. I'm baptizing you for the forgiveness of your sins. But when that one comes, it's gonna be completely different. He's gonna baptize you with the Holy Spirit and everything will be completely new. You can't imagine what will happen when that one comes. 
In fact, his coming is so marvelous that it will be just like leaving Egypt all over again. I mean, before Israel left Egypt, they were simply a group of slaves. After they left, starting with their time in the wilderness, they would become a nation that, bared, that bore the image and the name of God. But by the time John is preaching, so much has been lost. But God was going to recreate the nation again. He would raise up a new people, he would live in relationship with them, and he would place his spirit on them, on all of them, on everyone who, in the crisis of decision, would choose to follow him. And so Jesus shows up, and he leaves town, and he heads out into the wilderness with all the folks who have decided to return to God. And Jesus steps into the water of the Jordan. And now you might want to shout, wait, I mean, wait, why should Jesus, our Messiah, step into the water? He has no sin. He is not guilty. He did not need the cleansing. He was not in a crisis of decision knowing something was wrong. There wasn't anything he needed to do for his own sin. All of that's true, but the good news of Jesus, the good news of the gospel is simply this. By accepting baptism himself, Jesus acknowledges before God that the people he came to save have indeed sinned. And he stands in solidarity with them and asks for forgiveness for all of them and he identifies himself with them and with us, and he makes it his mission to bear the judgment of God on behalf of the people he's standing with. He became one of us so that he could present us to God. In baptism, Jesus announces that he is willing to bear the brunt of the punishment of God for sin. Those who came out to the wilderness to John were people who knew they needed forgiveness and sought out that forgiveness. These are the people that Jesus stands with and identifies with. These are the people who become the bearers of the new covenant the new Israel. Listen to the words of the prophet Isaiah from Isaiah 64, one. This is Isaiah 64. This is Isaiah's prayer. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains would tremble before you, as when fire sets twigs ablaze and causes water to boil. Come down and make your name known to your enemies and cause the nations to quake before you. For when you did awesome things that we did not expect, you came down and the mountains trembled before you. Since ancient times, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. You come to the help of those who gladly do right, who remember your ways. Did you hear Isaiah's prayer? Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. And when Jesus steps into the water, 
and confesses the sins of the people he came to save, wouldn't you know it, the prayer of Isaiah is fulfilled? When Jesus goes under the water and comes up, heaven comes down. God rends the heavens and comes down. He makes the name of Jesus known. Jesus will be the one who acts on behalf of those who wait for God. He will make the Father known to all of the nations. Jesus' coming up from the water is answered by the coming down from heaven. God is with his people in Christ. This is the Son who pleases the Father by the Son's solidarity with sinners. And so we should know when we hear of what Jesus does for his people and for his nation, that in the baptism of Christ, we all get the chance to start over. We all are called to the wilderness to join Christ there and to begin in new ways. It is possible for any of us who find ourselves in the crisis of decision to return to the wilderness with Christ and start again. And, and I have to believe this message isn't just for people who have never ever responded to the message of Christ. This message is for all of us. All of us who know that something isn't quite right and who long for things to be put right again. I don't know what crisis of decision you might be laboring with right now. All I do know is this. If you are aware that something is wrong or that something is not right or something isn't quite like it used to be or something has been lost, the crisis of decision is that great opportunity to make things right again. I don't think John's message is just a message for that particular time. I think John cries for all eternity, prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. Make the road that leads to your heart level. Open yourself, make it easy for Christ to enter because he will do new things. And Jesus stands for all eternity as the baptized one, beckoning to us to come to him and be baptized by him, not just with water, but with the Holy Spirit. You might say, why do I need this? I guess I would say, it can be easy to lose your way. I don't understand all of this, I confess. I don't understand the mystery of how we linger for so long in things that are broken and lost and confused that are not right and can't figure it out. I don't know why it takes some of us so long to get to the crisis of decision point where finally we see, finally we understand, oh, this isn't right. This isn't what was meant for me. I, there's more for me here. I, I don't understand why it takes some of us so long to get over our own formulated opinions 
or to get past the compromises that we have internally reached between our goals and our performance. I mean, you know what I mean. We, we have these ideals and we don't live up to them. And so we say, well, can anyone really expect more than that from me? I mean, I think I'm doing at least as well as these other folks. And so I must be okay. And, and eventually we recognize that rationalization is nothing more than a stinky rationalization. And we get to a point of crisis in decision and we realize God has more for me. There's healing for this. There's deliverance for this. God, God has a way forward from the place that I'm stuck right now. It's interesting to me that when Jesus is baptized, he's whisked away to the desert wilderness and he's going to be there for 40 days. And while the other gospel writers have a lot of talking about what happens in the wilderness, Mark has just two tiny little sentences. It just, just two little sentences for the whole story. He tells how long Jesus is out there essentially and he says he lived there in the company of the wild beasts and was ministered to by angels. He, lived this, he lives his life out, essentially, in the company of beasts and angels. And I thought, you know, that's interesting. It's interesting, first of all, that he's there 40 days. That's the first sentence, right? The number means something. God leads Israel in the wilderness for 40 years before they can inherit the promise. And this is a time of testing for Jesus. This is a time for Jesus to put actions to his decisions, whether he will obey the Father or not. Because life in the desert, life in the wilderness is always lived by obedience. And Mark adds, in the presence of wild beasts and angels. And when you think about it, when you think about the life that Jesus is going to live, the wild beasts and the angels are gonna be with him through this whole life. It's not like he leaves the wilderness and the wild beasts and the angels aren't around. The beasts just look different. They look like Pharisees. They look like folks who have everything figured out. They look like folks who have no need for God because they have their own system created and they feel good about themselves. And so there's no need to change those kinds of wild beasts. But there are times when Jesus is praying in Gethsemane where he must be ministered to again because even he needs the help of God to endure the wild beasts that are around him. And I'm thinking to myself, um, that's not much different than what we face, is it? I mean, this life is wild beasts and angels. We get beat up by stuff around us. The culture's crazy. We're a pariah anymore in the culture that folks would actually have the audacity to believe in the, the particular claims of Jesus Christ in a world like ours. And yet we do. We cling to Jesus Christ as our foundation, as our rock, as our source, as the one who gives the Holy Spirit to us so that we can live full lives in his presence and glorify him so that we can carry out the mission of Christ in the world. To many folks, that's nonsense. And they become beast-like around us and the way they harass us. But we are not without resources. The ministering angels are here just as well. And the presence of the Spirit that is now given to us is with us so that we can continue to live in obedience in the wilderness that we're given to live in. If we will trust him, if we will obey him, we will know the ministry of angels as well. 
We will know the ministry of the Spirit as well. We can be confident in the middle of the wilderness. Jesus will be present with us there. He will stand in solidarity with us there. He will give us the gifts. He will start something new. Do you, every Sunday when you come in and you see the screen rolling the announcements and you, you get to the theme verse, Isaiah 43, and it talks about God doing a new thing. And do you remember what the end of our theme verse for the year says? That his promise is, he will make a way in the wilderness and streams in the desert. That's what we're clinging to that God will make a way for us and that the streams in the desert are the joy of the Spirit in our life. So it's not just a grudgingly miserable grind. It is joy-filled because of the presence of the Spirit in our lives. We live in the company of the Holy Spirit all because of the one who baptizes us with his Spirit. You know, Moses waited on Mount Sinai for 40 days during Israel's wilderness wanderings to receive the law from God. Elijah traveled 40 days to reach Mount Horeb where God renewed him and put him back in mission again because he was so depleted, so weary, so disgusted with Israel that he was ready to give up. You remember his words on Mount Horeb, Elijah to God. He says, God, they've killed your prophets. They've done everything they can to discredit you, and now they're trying to kill me. What's the point? And God says, Elijah, there's all kinds of servants back there that you don't know about. You got thousands of allies back in Israel who are trying to serve God. So quit your complaining and get back to work. 40 days to reach that point of decision. Jesus confirms his sonship and launches his ministry through 40 wilderness days of obedience to God. And I really believe that Jesus calls all of his children to meet him in the wilderness in the valley of decision and choose to follow him more than just once. Every time we enter a crisis of decision, he's calling us to choose again to follow him. Will we follow him? Will we each time that we find ourselves in a crisis of decision, choose to follow him? I'm, I'm interested in those gospel passages where Jesus sends out his disciples two by two, and the first time he does it, he tells them, don't take anything with you. Don't take any supplies, don't take any extra cloak, don't take any extra food. Just go out in obedience to what I say, and do what I call you to do, and live on whatever people in the homes give you to eat. At some level, I feel like that's a calling to the wilderness. No backup plan. No extra resources. Just step out in faith and do what I'm asking you to do. And let's just see what happens. I think there's a, a foundation being built into the life of his disciples at that point. He's telling them, when there's nothing else around to support you, 
You can rely on me. I'm all you need. You can leave all that other stuff back in the village. You can leave all that other stuff that you've built up to provide your security back that stuff in town. You can leave it all there uh, because when you come to the wilderness, you just bring yourself. It's all you need. And you offer yourself to God and things start again in new ways. I'm gonna ask Aaron to come at this time and lead us in the singing of a song. And um, I don't know this morning if you find yourselves today in any kind of crisis of decision. I don't, I don't know that. I don't know if you have a sense that something's not right in some sphere of your life or not. I, I don't know. But I want to make sure there's an opportunity this morning to respond to that sense if that's true. And so we're going to sing a song that essentially we're singing to give us time to process, to think, to hear what the Holy Spirit might be saying to us. Of course, as is always true in our service at the end of every service, if you need to get away from the distractions and pray here at this altar of prayer, you're always welcome to make use of this altar. That's always available. But if while we're singing this song this morning, you feel like you need a trip to the wilderness, that you need the opportunity to, to speak to God privately or quietly, you're welcome to kneel here uh, while we sing this song. But I'm gonna invite you to uh, sing with me in a prayerful way as we offer ourselves to God again. So would you stand with me as we sing?
us to recognize that we were not designed to live in the crisis of decision for long periods of time. The place of the crisis of decision is a place of anxiety. It's knowing something's wrong and not having the courage to do something about it. It's procrastinating a choice and it's a place of tension. It's not a place of peace. When we sing in the hymns, there's a deep settled peace in my soul. The deep settled peace comes when everything is right between us and our Father. That's where that deep settled peace comes from. But when we live in the crisis of decision, knowing something's wrong and either not being willing to do something about it or not being able to figure out what to do about it, there's a deep settled sense of tension in our soul. And that's not where we've been invited to live. We've been invited to live in the peace of Christ. So friends, if you're living in the crisis of decision, resolve it. Come to Christ. Explain to him what's going on. Hear what the Spirit has to say to, to reconcile the issue. If you need help doing that, find a Christian friend to talk to. Come to CR on Thursday night. Deal with the crisis that you can know the peace of Christ in your heart. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, by your Spirit, lead us. If you need to lead us to the wilderness, lead us there. If you need to lead us to confession, lead us there. If you need to lead us to reconciliation, lead us there. If you need to lead us to resolution of the crisis of decision, lead us there, Lord Jesus. We want to follow you. We want to know the peace that passes all understanding. Help us to start new and fresh with you. For we pray this in your name. Jesus, the one who stood with us in the waters of baptism. Amen. 
And now may the Holy Spirit walk with you moment by moment so that you can glorify God by the choices you make to the glory of God now and always. Amen.